Welcome back to Dating Games, the modern relationships podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Temps. And as we begin to wrap up this season of the pod, with the last episode being next week, we will be echoing last season by doing a breakup episode. But unlike most breakups, this show will be back bigger and better at the start of October with new artwork and a lineup of guests I can hardly believe. And the guest we have for this episode could not be more ideal. As a psychologist and author of the book, Getting to Good Riddance, a No Bullshit Breakup Survival Guide. Please welcome Jodie Ackleberry Hunt. Hello. Hello. It's so great to be catching up with you. It's great to be here. And I actually really love it when we have a kind of theme to an episode, like something like breakups, where we can get into all the facets of it, the misconceptions, and I think be honest about, I don't really know if any of us feel like we're good at breakups, that we really have any strategies beyond surviving it. So the fact that you've written a whole survival guide, I love. Well, here's the thing. I think a lot of people, it has to get ugly in order to exit the relationship. But I keep telling him, you don't have to go there. Like you could just say, you know what? I'm not going to go to the ugly, dirty place. I'm going to get out now. But here are some strategies about to do that. So I think that's the challenge for most people who are human. You're always wondering, by the way, well, maybe it could be. It could be better. And, and it's hard to leave with that doubt. So that's why it has to get ugly. No, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Sometimes we need to keep going and prove to ourselves a million times that it's over before we actually believe it. And then we get out of it. And even if logically we can feel it's over, we can still feel those like pangs of, oh, but I wish they were here right now. I wish I had... I think for me, one of the most difficult parts is, you know, you lose access to connecting with that person in so many ways, you know, that we can have all this sort of angst and this urge to text them and keep the communication open. But it's not because we want that. We want what we're missing. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That is what most people do is they block out the bad stuff. And they create this fairy tale. So they're not grieving what was. They're grieving what they thought it could be or what they hoped it was. That's what I call the fairy tale. They're grieving the fairy tale. And I actually tell a story about that in the book. Like folks are saying, oh, it was so wonderful. And we did all these things together and we were soulmates, et cetera. But they forgot about the party where the person got drunk and came on to their friend and threw up on them or whatever. Like, we erase all the bad Mm -hmm. stuff. But it just sort of prolongs this torture. Yes, that is very much the stuff we do not want back. And yet it can be really difficult in that, the vulnerability that comes from uncoupling from someone, to also, I guess, force ourselves to look at the full picture of who that person was and why we broke up. And I know that in your writing, you talk a lot about the importance of your friends, because oftentimes they're all too ready to remind you of all the things that you told them, all the phone calls where you were upset about this person's behavior. That's actually one of my best questions. When when folks come in to see me, they are laying out to me what happened, and they want perspective. And I usually ask, what does your good friend say? Mm -hmm. Because that is actually a piece of truth and that, that is insight for me. 
I think what happens is that folks replay and replay in their heads, and then they lose sight of what true north is, and they doubt themselves. And so coming in and, and laying it out on the table with somebody who doesn't know any of the players can be helpful, but I like to know what what the friend what your friends say. Yeah, I really like that strategy, and it's kind of a, a fast track for you to be like, okay, what does somebody that's been here through all this and seen you in other relationships and have that comparison, what do they think of it? And yeah, and I do tend to find, certainly with myself, there's generally a consensus. You know, generally I can maybe discount what one friend says, but when I start noticing a few people saying the same things, then even if it's uncomfortable, I'm like, okay, I probably need to listen to this stuff. Yeah. And you said something earlier that also cued me as I was in my work with folks who are going through breakups. As I was writing the book, this really became clear for me. The death of a relationship is very much like a death of another person. The difference, though, is if somebody you love dies, you know that they weren't choosing to be without you. In most circumstances, they don't want to die or didn't want to be away from you. But when somebody breaks up with you, it's the death of your relationship and your future together, but also compounded with the knowledge that that person is choosing not to be with you or sitting with the knowledge that you have to devastate somebody else because you are choosing not to be with them. It's similar, but also very different. Yes. And I actually, I want to ask you a lot more about grieving relationships. But before that, what about when you should break up? Because we've talked about like not dragging it out. Is there a way, is there a strategy that you have on when to know that it's time? Mm, and yeah, that is complex. I, it is, so I'm hedging a lot because that is a very hard question. But certainly if a relationship is abusive mm-hmm. and the hard boundaries need to be set to keep somebody healthy and safe. Uh, of course, I don't tell people you need to leave because I don't know all the things that people have on their agenda that they have to attend to. But in the end, it, it's like a balance sheet. Is this relationship bringing more to your life than it is taking? And like I said, I don't tell people what to do, but I help them think through it. And my take is always the person sitting in front of me, I'm their cheerleader. So I want to encourage them to keep their own needs and their own self-care at the top of the priority list. Yeah, I think that's really tricky because even sometimes that way of looking at all the kind of hard boundaries that, you know, is is easier still said than done in terms of like, if, if it's abusive, I know I should get out. For example, I do feel like sometimes even if you are really good with those boundaries, it doesn't necessarily help you in the middle ground of, but it's not an abusive or toxic relationship and therefore it's like oh well maybe it's okay maybe maybe I go along with it maybe I'm not maybe it's not to my detriment but it it still can be if you're unhappy in it and I think what you've mentioned there of encouraging the client to kind of talk it through and think it through is what a lot of us do with our friends and that maybe that's one of the signs is when you're noticing that that person is mainly saying what's wrong with the relationship most of the statements about it are negative that's an indicator that it's perhaps tipped over 
into causing more harm than good. Yeah, maybe what I bring that adds to what folks hopefully do with their friends is start looking at oh, yeah. the connection. Sorry, I'm not implying you're, you're doing no, exactly no, no, the same. No, 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 <laughs> but I, I think they're onto something. But what I hopefully do is connect what folks are telling me in the present to make themes in their lives and how they've been parented or been brainwashed in some ways to see the world and their self-view. And so I always like to look at, these are the current circumstances, but let's look at the bigger thread in your life. Because what folks are also struggling with when they come to see me around a breakup, again, whether they're the, the person being broken up with or the person doing the breaking up, is maybe this is as good as it gets. Maybe I'm being too picky or maybe I'm being too judgmental and they're talking themselves into settling. And that's when I come in and say, one should never settle on a life partner. Like I get it. You're never going to find anybody who's perfect, but why shouldn't you be picky in terms of the person that you allow in? And this is one tagline that I've been saying to people is no access to the sacred, no access to the sacred. People have to deserve access to the sacred, which is to be in your life. Mm -hmm. Yes, and to be in your life in such an intimate way. I absolutely agree. And I think that kind of reminds me a little bit of, I think, what I was getting at earlier, that sometimes we can fall into that trap of, oh, it's not abusive. Maybe this is what I get. Maybe this is the relationship that I deserve or the best that I can find. And at the time, there can be a strange kind of rationale that sometimes for us that does feel like enough, depending on our past experiences or or how we've been raised or any number of factors. But that is one of the things I like about breakups is how much clarity that you maybe missed out in the relationship can come to you. And I know that's a big part of your book is, okay, getting to that point of, I no longer want that person back. Absolutely. And I think nobody comes without baggage. It's just finding somebody else whose baggage lines up with your baggage. (laughs) And in particular, they get frustrated because they haven't found that person. And I, I say it's all great. It's an opportunity for you to learn more about yourself as you date, as you spend time with people, but you don't have to judge it. That judging piece is the piece that gets in the way of your growth it creates this pain and the shame, and that's going to keep you in a bad place longer. So things didn't work out. That's bad enough. No need to judge it. Learn from it. Grow from it. It's all good information. Mm-hmm. And for a bit of contrast, you said that you have a dating story to share, and it's a first because it's somebody else's. I, I do have permission. It's my niece. Interestingly, one of the things I've noticed, at least in America among millennials, is they're okay being alone. And I've really enjoyed that comparison to other generations feeling like they have to be in a committed relationship. So I have two nieces and both millennials and both fine being alone. They're both female. So one of my nieces tells me she had gotten into a business networking group and met a male and they were she said it was clearly flirting. There's no doubt about it. She does not second guess that. And so they're engaging and they're talking about this local fundraiser for a cause. 
and it, there's a gala. And he says, are you going? And she said, yeah, I'm going. And let's, let's sort of go together. And he said, would you like to meet up for drinks? So she said, well, yeah. And so she thinks they're on a date. She texted me and she said, I've got this date with this new person. And I said, okay, well, let me know what happens. So here's what happens. She goes and she's having drinks and then she goes to the gala and they're sitting next to each other. And uh, a little bit later, somebody comes over to, to this guy and says, how's your wife? He didn't, he wasn't wearing a wedding ring either. Never mentioned a wife. So apparently he's married. And then, so she was shocked and, mm-hmm. and still in shock. And apparently there's this auction and he wanted to bid on something. It was actually a purse for his wife and she's still in shock and he didn't have the app. And she had the app on her phone. And so he says, can I, can I use your app to bid on this purse? Now, open knowledge for his wife. And she says, yes, and he does. And it goes to her credit card. And then she said he never paid her back. And she was chasing him. She said it took her eight months to get him to pay back the money for the purse he bought on their date for his wife. So <laughs> she, she said that she was out of dating for a while after that. That's, I guess, dating these days. Wow. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't that throw? And for it to happen so publicly, you know, there's something about the relative anonymity of like going out like on a coffee date or something versus a gala where he clearly knows loads of people. And probably those people are, one. you know, she doesn't know how much those people are wondering, who's this that he's brought along? That's not his wife. (laughs) Exactly. And she actually thought he had potential. So anyway, in my I, I do have to throw in that my other niece had, I saw her for Thanksgiving and she said, you don't know how, how bad it is on these dating sites. And I said, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. And oh. she put in her age. I know. She put in her age. She said, you got to look at this. And we must have scrolled through 300 people. I have never laughed so hard. Now she was looking for men and she's a millennial. As I said, I have never laughed so hard because it was page after page after page of men in the bathroom in front of their mirror with their shirts off. And I, 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 I could not have believed the reality of that. And sadly, that was a, an immediate no on her mm-hmm. choosing. It's, it's very strange. And one thing that I've learned through like friends of mine is there's quite precise like gaps age-wise in terms of what sort of photos so I think I'm a little bit too old for, I'm, I'm still a millennial, but I'm, a, I guess, an older one. I don't really come across that so much, but I, you know, I'm, I'm maybe sort of more the, the next cusp up, which is like, you know, people still doing like fishing photos because they think it makes them look sporty or like skiing because they skied once. It's supposedly a suggestion of having money. What really interested me there is what you said about younger people being more comfortable being alone. And I think that continues right into Gen Z as well. Like the the even younger people, I think, are even more so that way. And just two weeks ago, we were talking about it on the pod. So do you have any theories on that? I'm not sure, Uh, to be honest with you. I, I love it. I love it not because I want people to be alone, but because there's not that desperation to be in a relationship. So yeah, I'm still studying it. I'm not sure. Yeah. I do wonder how much of it is what we have to deal with on the dating apps. I think that's definitely a factor. And I think perhaps there's a lot of the stuff that 
our generation is questioning more than ever before. And I think some of that is that we're, we're lucky to be in a time when we can question so openly concepts of marriage and whether or not we want the same kind of things that our parents wanted when they were our age and these kind of things. But then the question is, okay, well, what do you want instead? And maybe that's the bit that takes a little bit longer. Will we be a generation that a lot of us stay single and maybe have less kids and less marriages? Or will we get to that stuff maybe further down the line, but we have the freedom to kind of explore and take our time with it in some ways? I get that. But it's so interesting that at the same time, I do have the, the, the same folks who are making a conscious decision to not date and, until they find a person worthy of dating in, in terms of their standards, uh, a, a deeper sense of intimacy in terms of a, a life partner or companion. So it is a conscious and intentional decision, but at the same time, there is an accompanied sense of loneliness. I definitely get a lot of that myself. I've spent a lot of my adult life single and being very comfortable in it, but it's still difficult to exclude those kind of feelings and know how much of that is like external pressures and expectations versus how much of it is our innate wanting to be, you know, close to people. It's certainly for me an, an ongoing thing of figuring out, okay, how much of a relationship do I want to commit to and kind of where where do I go next? And so I said I'd ask you about grieving a relationship because I think for me that's very important like I really believe in like taking the time and under you know going easy on yourself knowing that you are going to miss a lot about them that you're going to kind of grieve in parts there'll be certain things that you're reminded of and you know that's why it can be so exhausting because every day it can be like you're reminded of a new thing that you miss particularly when it's a longer relationship and so do you have any particular strategies around grieving and what it means to you? Well, it is natural that a lot of people I see want to jump right back into dating. And typically I say, you know what, you would be best served to work on just being alone and sorting through what happened for about six months. That's just a general idea that I throw out there because Martin Seligman he is like the father of positive psychology in the United States. And this is not going to be an exact quote, but the idea he has floated out there is that in order to have a good hello, you have to have had a good goodbye. And mm -hmm. I, I think my, my point in mentioning that is like in the United States, there's this idea that we're entitled to happiness, I think. And happiness, I tell people all the time, takes work as in everything, everything takes work. And so if you want to be happy, it is important that we, you really take inventory. What the hell happened? Where did things go wrong? Did I ignore any red flags? And if I did, why? And in fact, by the way, I have yet to meet anybody who post-breakup at some point was not able to say, yeah, I knew that was a red flag at the time, but I silenced that, or I told myself it wasn't a big deal. But we have to go back and identify that and say, why did I do that? And what do I want to do differently? And really, it's a, it is a process of dealing with the heart and allowing the emotions to flow, but also being in the head and being intentional about how we want to grow. 
and it it just it takes work and there are a lot of things I'm, i i give in the book like journaling and talking with friends but you can't force it like sadly you have to feel the pain and you can't rush through that and you know it just takes time yeah and i do really love that learning piece of a breakup as hard as it can be at the time i i don't think i've ever had it where i've looked back and i haven't learned something from a relationship but it so often can come from the bit of grieving and taking time to kind of unpack things afterwards as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash podcast. That's indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And the other thing that I really loved that you said there was about the red flags. It is something that can be a kind of scary trend to notice, like how often the thing that breaks you up is something that actually came up pretty early on and do you see that a lot in your clients oh 100 percent, 100 and typically that red flag has something to do with unresolved issues from just past socialization in relationships and family or or peer relationships yeah and even just thinking about that i hope that is maybe one of the positives of younger people feeling more comfortable being single perhaps it's partly that in a time when we are talking about like mental health more than even when i was younger and the the people coming up now it, it is far more of a conversation perhaps that's part of it that when we see the red flags we're doing better at doing something about them at having boundaries at holding off to date somebody who feels right rather than being like okay i've got to choose somebody and these are my options yeah and you know one group i I, I laugh. I have a, a fair number of folks who come to see me who are in lesbian relationships. And we always laugh together because that's the thing about at least where I am in Michigan. The second date, you're moving in together. And I, I say to these women all the time, take it slowly. But they tell me, this is another sort of, in, in my mind is related to what you're saying, that the community is small. So they oftentimes feel like they have to settle because they don't have as many people to choose from. And so that's the other thing I say to some of my my folks, like, you don't have to rush it. Like, let mm -hmm. it play out. Get to know each other. You're not in that much. You can expand your, your search area. But again, I think my point is everybody brings this idea of maybe the limits or where they can go to find somebody or what things that they need to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a perspective I hadn't thought about because I think I more commonly thought that it perhaps had something to do with attachment styles, to do with gay women in my life where 
men are kind of more commonly perceived to be avoidant if you look at attachment styles. And so maybe there's something around there being no men in a relationship that there's not necessarily one person pulling back and wanting to slow things down in a way that can be stereotypical, but I think there often can be some truth. I I mean, I've definitely been that man that's, you know, very much not wanting to get tied down too quickly. And that's been something I've had to really work on being okay. I mean, being okay with intimacy, feeling safe in a relationship is what it really is, not, you know, being tied down. Yeah, and I I definitely have more experience in women's same-sex relationships. I, I have seen men in same-sex relationships, but I haven't seen that avoidance. I haven't. I've, most of the men I've seen want to be in committed relationships, but there's something about women, again, where I am, they, they keep telling me that, that we all know each other. We all know each other because they run in the same circles. So there are also constraints by smaller, maybe closed communities, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can see that. But I definitely agree with you on the, you know, still taking it slow. Because if anything, I would think, okay, it's a smaller community. I already know everyone. If this crashes and burns as quickly as it starts, then everyone's probably also going to know about that. Well, yeah. And then sometimes, well, again, what I hear is there's always somebody waiting because they've heard the news. The news travels very fast and there's somebody ready to move in and that move in on the other person is what I'm saying. But that again, when that community, I don't see enough time to grieve because somebody else has heard, they've had their eye on that person and then they can... Mm -hmm quickly move into another relationship and the grieving hasn't occurred. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so key. And I think that's something I think is so essential that if you're not getting past the previous relationship, how do you know that the new one isn't about the old person? You know, I think that's a big part of why, like when people have affairs, they very rarely end up with the person they were having the affair with. You know, even if they call off a marriage or whatever commitment they were in, they very rarely end up with the person they were cheating with. Yeah. Now, some of those relationships can be saved because affairs are are very often symptoms of boredom or needs not being met in a relationship. However, in, in many, many circumstances, affairs are transitions. It's a way out. And it's not intentional. Like we as human beings, we do things all the time that are unconsciously or subconsciously driven. So it's not intentionally we think we're going to get into an affair to get out of a relationship. It happens because we're not dealing with what's underneath that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I can see that. And coming back to this idea of relationship grieving and your book, Getting to Good Riddance, What are your thoughts on closure and how achievable that is for breakups? Well, so I am not your typical therapist. I tend to be very bossy and very direct. And for folks who come in to see me specifically around a relationship end, I am very directive. And I say, you can feel better. You can get to where you need to be. But you need to do the things I tell you to do. You need to get off social media, all these connecting with this other person, you need to cut off contact. You need to stop. You need to stop looking at old photos, stop texting the other person, stay away from the triggers, sort of like detoxing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it does, in my opinion, that's the reason why I wrote the book, grieving and getting over a breakup 
does follow a pretty predictable timeline. I tell people, if you do the things that I ask you to do, in about a month, you're going to say, I don't feel good, but I don't feel that bad. And then in a couple months, you're going to say, I, I think I'm healing. And a few months down the road, if you're doing it right, you'll get to the point where you don't wish the person bad badly. You just you're just done with it. And so the if you're still very angry and vengeful, you're not healed. Healing is you don't wish the person bad. You just don't care. You've moved you've moved on. You've detached. Yes. I really agree with that. And I think that's such an understandable impulse to, you know, turn the craving for kind of connection to that person or, you know, unanswered questions or whatever closure means maybe to you into, yeah, stalking their social media, into texting them late at night when you're feeling sad because you're craving that connection still. You still want to feel close to that person. And they, you know, they likely were the person that you would go to most often for reassurance when you were feeling sad. And the catch then is you're going to be disappointed. I would also add to that that the way you've described your approach of encouraging people to take certain tools and approaches really fits with how I see closure, that I really believe in it. I know not everyone does, but I believe in it with the caveat that you make your own closure. 100%. I, and, and you hit on something that a lot of people struggle with. They say to me, I just need to have this last conversation. I just need to make this person see or make this person understand and usually interrupt and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't make anybody anything. Mm -hmm. And if you go down the path of writing the person a letter or sending an email, sending a text or having a conversation, you need to be really clear with yourself about why. Because if it is because you're going to make them see or understand, you've just already lost. Like that's not going to go anywhere. But if it's because you need to get something off your chest, fine. But then is it worth it? Because as I explained to somebody else mm -hmm. recently, you're giving them insight into what's going on in your head. And maybe they don't need to know that. Maybe that and it's just going to create an additional conversation. Like, are you trying to drag this out and why? Because I think my approach to getting over a breakup is very intentional. And you can't, it's sort of like if I'm going to go on a diet and I have a sweet tooth, I can't say I can't have anything sweet. I have to replace the unhealthy things with other things. So I feel like I have tools. And so getting better is having, being very smart and having a list of things that you can do instead of texting or calling and reminiscing and doing all these things, you have to have replacement behaviors. So that's part of the book. I really incorporate basic psychology to help you get to where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, I totally agree. And I think the majority of the time, you know, this is a rule I try and go by, you're going to be disappointed. Like maybe you feel like, okay, I just want to get this off my chest. You can still be disappointed with their reaction. Like, I don't think that anyone's going to turn around you've had a breakup with and be like, oh, thank you so much for saying this, this thing about one of my shortcomings. You know, they're, they're going to react to it. You're going to get into something. The emotions are all going to come back for both of you. You know, and you, you, you may well regret it, that whole conversation in the morning. Yeah. And so if you're up for me being your guinea pig for a moment, so my last breakup, we 
met up since then. And it was really important for me to see him again, partly because we, we broke up over the phone and the listeners will know this from the last host's episode I did with my co-host. And, you know, prior to that, we'd, we'd been in the relationship or we'd been in the dating phase the whole time we met through a dating app. And so I'd never been around him and it not been a date. So for me, it felt like an important bit of closure to sit across the table and, you know, just go for a coffee or, or I mean, it ended up being a lunch, but that was that was him rescheduling it and changing what we were doing. That was fine. And it was really helpful for me to spend time in a more neutral capacity than because we had the breakup over the phone. It was like every other time, you know, every reference point I had for him was highly emotionally charged. And for me... I think it really helped, but I do think a big part of that is I gave a good amount of time. It was like, I think about two months afterwards and we hadn't been in contact nearly at all other than really to arrange this. And I went into it with my kind of thoughts around making your own closure, that I knew what I wanted out of it. And it's a pretty low bar. Like I wanted to, you know, to meet up and it not to be a date. And I knew that's exactly what would be achieved. Of course, feelings can come back. There's still, you know, you sit down and you're like, damn, you're still attractive because you have not <laughs> I've got ugly in the last two months. You know, there's, there's still things that I kind of, that came up that I then needed to work through again. But for me, I found it really helpful. And I think that that's the most important piece is you know you better. Like people sometimes will say to me, what should I do? And I mean, I can give them ideas, but you know you, but it is being honest with yourself. And that's the piece that trips a lot of people up, that they aren't fully honest with themselves about what they want in in going forward. I agree. And I can definitely be honest that if we'd met up way sooner, I would have gone in with the approach of like, oh, you know, maybe there's an off chance that we might, there might still be a spark here and it might feel a bit more like a date and I can lean into that. You know, <laughs> we can even have that kind of logic with ourselves that even with the honesty, we can be like playing it down. And yeah, I, I know enough to call myself out and be like, no, if you met up like two weeks after, you would have gone in with a plot to get back together. You weren't ready. Well, the other thing that I get to see a lot I have a fair number of people who come in who who the the person they've been with seems to have deep human flaws, like the people who are narcissistic or the people who are more sociopathic. And when they've come in to see me, these people have been gaslit so much that they think they're the problem. And so sometimes in getting these relationships are a little bit stickier to get out of because the other person is not reasonable. And for example, if you've got somebody who's more narcissistic and really the problem is the person who comes to see me can't fathom how somebody else could be this damaged. And yeah. And you you don't want to believe it. You know, you love that person. You want to find a way that they aren't really that bad. Even often when the breakups happened. Yeah, but even, and that's true. And so sometimes the folks who come to see me are even driven more to want to have these closure conversations because they're baited into it. And I keep explaining, if you tell this other person 
these things, it gives them more power over you because now they know what you've been thinking. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I think that's so true. And that's a big part of where staying in contact can make it so murky because you've still got their narrative in your head. You know, they can still be putting things a certain way that you can still definitely gaslight over text. And it makes it really tricky. I remember when I got out of an abusive relationship, I got to a point where it just, it was it was the weirdest thing. It was like a switch. There was one day where I just couldn't be in it anymore. And I was very gassed in that situation. So it, it sort of was like it, it came together quite suddenly, me realising just how bad it was. And, you know, I made a plan to get out and I had to kind of lie to get, you know, find an excuse to get keys back to my house and all kinds of, you know, like passwords and all kinds of access that she had, you know, that, that were symptoms of the control in the relationship. And, you know, if, if we'd stayed in contact, I absolutely know there would have been so many attempts to manipulate me. And there would have been potentially that framing of like, oh, you know, if you ever cared about me, you would give me the chance to explain. You'd meet up with me for one last coffee. And, you know, even this recent lunch I had with the ex, you know, I was really (laughs) trying to make sure like that I wasn't being that person, you know, just kind of keeping a check of my own behavior of like, you know, just put it out there, be really casual about it, go for a coffee. Do you know what I mean? I was trying to keep the stakes really low. Don't go anywhere that we went on a date, just like, you know, trying to be really grown up about it. And so, no, I think that's really important. And and potentially there is something then that you could meet up with them if you've had enough time without contact and then see them as they really are because you've been away from their narrative. But for me... If the relationship was abusive, I say never again. Yeah, right. You read my mind because I was like, why would you want? (laughs) Yeah, it's judgmental. So everybody has their own stuff. Yes. And and abuse can occur in, you know, so many different ways that, you know, there would be certain types that there is a safe way to do it potentially. But I don't know, having been through it myself, I I still wouldn't want to, you know, bump into her on the street, you know, Mm -hmm. even all these years later. Mm-hmm. 100%. Let's see, before we start wrapping up, was there any other elements to take? Oh, one of the other notes here I have is around post-breakup shame. And I think that's a journey that a lot of people go on when you look back at different breakups you've had and how certainly a lot of the earlier ones, we can be so in our head about all the things we did wrong all the things we should have done differently. If only I'd acted this way, if only I'd given more. And I don't know, for for a lot of people in my life, that seems to be something that that gets easier with age, to do that less and to to understand that I don't think it's ever only one person's fault. Rarely. So again, sometimes you meet people who have deeper human flaws, who are more narcissistic or whatever, but um, that is the exception. The way I look at it, and is much more from a mindfulness approach, at, it, it is so easy to go back years later with all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the experience and judge that younger person. And that's not fair. That's not a fair fight. And one of the things I tell people who are going back and doing that judging, particularly 
around childhood issues, I said, pull up a picture of that child. Look into that child's eyes. Now say some of the th terrible things that you're saying to yourself mm -hmm. in judging that person then. It can be the same thing with what you're talking about. Pull up a picture of you from five, 10 years ago when you were dating. Look into your eyes. And that person that whose eyes you're looking into was probably doing the best they could at that time. And so hopefully you've grown since then. And if it's meant to be, it will be. You shouldn't have to force it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And a big lesson I've learned is that the right person makes allowances. They understand that you're not always going to say the perfect thing and you are going to kind of make mistakes or not show up in the way that they need necessarily because you are different people with different needs. And learning, you know, that is part of the process you go on together. Seriously. And and these are loose, but the rules I, I mentioned earlier, my rule about six months to get over a breakup. But here's another one I, I have for people in the ideal world. You date for a year. That year is typically bliss if it's, if, if it's meant to be. And then after that, people start to kind of relax and get back to old habits things they've not been, they've been on their best behavior and they're going back to maybe not always being on their best behavior. So after that first year, you're trying to figure out, do I want to be with that person? And you want somebody who wants to be with you as is, not the potential that they see you that you could have. And you shouldn't do that with other people. I, I, I say that's one of the biggest mistakes is when somebody tells you, this is how I am, or they show you through their behavior, you don't accept them at face value. You're thinking, oh, but they could be so much better. That's the number one biggest mistake. Believe somebody when they tell or show you this is who they are. And you want somebody who wants you as is and you want them as is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a big difference, right, between dating somebody and wanting the best for them versus trying to date their potential rather than the person they actually are. Mm -hmm. 100%. And um, with that note, I'm going to ask you for some more rules because it's time for our rules of the game. So do you have an additional one, something you'd recommend trying to live by? I guess in this case, breakups, if you have one more. General rule about breakups. Mm -hmm. I think the very best approach, if possible, is cutting off all contact. I think that blocking somebody on text, email, and social media will allow you to have the peace and the tranquility to heal. There's nothing, I, I, I think I said in the book, so you're going about your day. Let's say that you've broken up and you're going about the day and you just get a, a nice text from the other person. Hi, I hope you're doing okay. Like I was having a good day until I got that text, <laughs> right? And so it's like, ugh. And now it brings it all up over, if you if it's blocked, it can't get through. And people sometimes get caught up in, well, I don't want to be rude or, or, or what have you. Your focus is on the wrong person. You need to focus on you and creating a healing environment. Yeah, and they don't deserve access to you, you know. And I think whilst I perhaps have remained friends with more of my exes than most people have, I do think it's a lot easier if you kind of completely reset the boundaries. Just go back down to zero and be like, okay, and now you have to win me over as a friend versus, you know, trying to go down from the the heightened place of intimacy that you were and feel like you're taking away from them. 
you know, it can be really difficult to enforce boundaries that way. Yeah, so I would I would totally agree with that. And at the same time, I acknowledge how difficult it is. You know, I've been there where the temptation to just, oh, I'll just have a quick look at their social media. It can't hurt. And then you find yourself scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> and it does hurt. And so something I've definitely recommended to friends of mine is I've been like the custodian of people's phone numbers before. That if the idea of like blocking and deleting that person's number entirely does feel like too much, that like you're not ready to entirely let go or you, you know, you're like, oh, what if there's an emergency and I actually genuinely do need to contact them? Delete their phone number and give the phone number to a friend. 100% that, yes. I'm quite happy to be the person to remind you why you shouldn't call them. And it's interesting how, you know, you might message them in the middle of the night when you're feeling lonely, but you're less likely to message your friend and be like, I need the, I need the number <laughs> in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah, you got it. Cool. And on that note, we'll wrap up there then. So if people want to find your book, it comes out on the 26th of July and it can be found everywhere books are sold including amazon you also have a website yeah jody eckleberry hunt.com very handy i love that all right we'll wrap up there thank you so much thank you thanks for listening you can support the show get ad free episodes and bonus content by joining our new subscription on apple podcasts this replaces our patreon and it's slightly cheaper our show is edited and produced by pete murta with music by the brilliant Tessa Violet. Speak to you next Friday. Until then, good luck out there. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.